So I do want to extend a happy Father's Day to all dads who are here. Um, and I want to welcome the kids who are here today. Welcome, kids. This is a sort of a family Sunday for us. And uh, so we're glad the kids are with us this morning. I will say, parents, we're going to hit some, some pretty, actually some pretty heavy topics today. And I want to be sensitive to the fact that our youngest ones are here with us. But it's a good opportunity for us to grow and learn as a, as a spiritual family across the generations and to have these teachable moments as we reflect on our life and our faith together. So uh, I have, but I, I, I have my second grader and third grader were here for service to sit through this. And I, I do hope this is helpful, although heavy. Uh, but kids, I don't know if you saw, there's a big banner outside. It has a VBS, uh, our VBS promotional banner, Vacation Bible School. This is a, a huge program for uh, kids in this community, not just our church kids, but the, the broader community, and we work with other churches. And so that registration is filling up or full, or it's, it's, it's uh, going really well. But what we've decided a couple years ago was that Vacation Bible School is not just a children's ministry initiative. This, for us, is a whole church initiative, and it takes the whole church to welcome the whole community of children to, uh, to participate in this. So we need your help. So if you have any inclination towards helping us do this program, not just working with kids, but working behind the scenes and all kinds of ways to get involved, please talk to our children's ministry folks, uh, to, to Robin or Kathy or whoever's around the table in the rotunda after service. So I just wanted to, um, to let you know about that. But I want to tell you also about last Sunday. So last Sunday was uh, actually a really intense day for me personally and, and on a number of levels, but I had the opportunity, while you guys were gathered here at, during this service, I was preaching at the Lawrence Evangelical Church in Lawrence, and it was just a great experience uh, of uh, worshiping in multiple languages. They do everything in Spanish and in English, and I was preaching, and it was being interpreted in, in, in Spanish, and it was just, uh, it was really a very a different, but very rich and beautiful Experience And what we're doing is we are rekindling a sisterhood between our churches. And so we have, uh, we have our Andover Church and their Lawrence Church. And there's ways that we can mutually support each other and just share life of ministry together. Their new pastor, his name is uh, Roddy. And he, Roddy worshipped with us for the last number of years. And uh, he got called to be their pastor. So we already have this uh, good friendship and Again, just working together on things. One of the things we're working together on is Vacation Bible School in Lawrence. So we're going to do this huge program here. We build these big sets. We have all these materials, all this stuff. When we're finished, we're going to pack it up, and we're going to set it up in Lawrence at their church, and they're going to run Vacation Bible School for their community. And we're going to help uh, train leaders and come alongside them and, and just share some of our experience with this. So they're going to come to trainings and help set up on this end, and we're going to go over there and help on that. And it's just going to work really well, we hope. If you're inclined to help with the Lawrence part of it, let us know, and we'd love to get you plugged into that. And that's going to be an evening program. So if you are not able to help out during VBS because of you're not available during the daytime, it's an evening program, so you might be, able, you might be more available. So if that's you, if you're in any way inclined, talk to our children's ministry folks. So, okay, so I was here at nine and Brian preached this message about the, the, the holy universal Catholic church and the communion of saints and just a beautiful message about God's family. 
And then I had this great experience in Lawrence, just a, a wonderful multicultural worshiping God in different languages. In between those two things, I looked at my phone and reports were just starting to come up from uh, the tragedy in Orlando. And it just, it just made me want to cry. And still, and, and we do, we need to cry and weep and mourn together. We need to demonstrate whatever love and support we can to those who are impacted by this. Um, and we, here in the greater Boston area, we've been through this together, and we've seen how in the midst of tragedy that a community can rally together, uh, even in the face of tragedy, as we uh, experienced after the marathon bombings. And so there's just deep sadness. and uh, But then, then it's been a tough week just thinking about all of the ripple effects from this tragedy. First and foremost, for the, those who've lost loved ones, so friends and, and sons and daughters and uh, brothers and sisters, I can't even imagine the immense pain to see a young person who has their life cut short in such a heinous and hateful and violent way. So we pray for them. We pray for the survivors and for those who have lost loved ones. Um, but we also think about the ripple effect that this has on the wider LGBTQ community. Imagine your neighbor who identifies with that community, uh, how they feel this week, you know, seeing a targeted attack against a, a community they identify with. You know, how would that feel? To have a renewed sense of, of hatred and violence towards you. Especially in a, in a day where good strides have been made against that anger and that violence. And, and to, to see this happen. And, and to think of your neighbor in light of how they must feel towards religious communities who may not necessarily agree with their lifestyle. And, and again, the threat of hatred and violence from a religious community. And this is just, what is that like to wake up every day and um, have this, to, to have that. Think also of the impact this would have on your Muslim neighbors to waking up and, and wondering how will I be viewed in light of people committing these atrocities in the name of my God? And how will I be viewed by my, my community around me? Or the impact on all of us as a, as a local community and as, as a state and, and sort of as a, even nationally, how do we respond to violence in general? And how do we respond to gun violence specifically? How do we balance our safety and our freedom? And this impacts every one of us. And then what about the impact on us as free Christian church, as Christians, as followers of Jesus? How, how do we love, how do we fulfill Jesus' command to love our neighbors in the midst of this tragedy? Look at verse 16 in our text here. We regard no one from a worldly point of view. We look at everyone through God's eyes. How do I love my LGBTQ neighbor? How do I love my Muslim neighbor? How do I love my neighbor who wants stricter gun control? How do I love my other neighbor who wants looser gun control? How are we to be God's people in the midst of all these dynamics? And that's a lot to consider. And that's a lot more questions than answers. Um, so I was reflecting on that this week. And in the midst of this reflection, I... I Realize this is also, the 17th, was the one-year anniversary of the Charleston shooting. 
in a church. And then that brings all that up again. And um, my heart breaks for that. And then I have to preach a message on forgiveness and reconciliation. And if nothing else today, if nothing else, we realize that we live in a world that needs reconciliation. That people need to be reconciled to God. People need to be reconciled to one another. We are desperate for it. But that's not an easy forgiveness and reconciliation. These aren't easy concepts for us. It, it, particularly in light of the Charleston tragedy, because this, what is, the question of what is forgiveness came up quickly in the aftermath of that tragedy. It was so fast. It was probably within 36 hours after the shooting. There was a young woman whose mother was killed. And she was standing in a courtroom at a podium and facing the murderer. And she said this. She said, I forgive you. You took something very precious away from me. I will never get to talk to her ever again. But I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. But if God forgives you, I forgive you. Now, not every survivor of that tragedy was on board with what that woman said. Some said, that's, this is way too soon to even be using that kind of language. Or that's way too simple. You're oversimplifying something that's much more profound. Because the, what, is for, what are you offering when you say, I forgive you? What does that even mean? Do you remember the debate? I mean, this was the debate about what, what did she really mean by that? There was a Time Magazine article that was sort of reflecting back uh, a year later on, on these events and asking questions like this. Can murder be forgiven? And if so, who has the power? And mu must forgiveness be earned or can it be given freely? Who benefits from forgiveness? Is it the sinner or the survivor? Or why do we forgive at all? Is it a way of remembering? Is it just a way of forgetting or de denying? These are tough questions. So today, as we consider, what we're doing today is considering the phrase from the Apostles' Creed, which is what we've been doing over these weeks, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Do you? Do you really believe in the forgiveness of sins? And I'm realizing that as we've looked at these basic core truths of our faith, they're not just basic and simple truths, they are, but they're also very deep and difficult truths. Because if we are people who believe in the forgiveness of sins, that, I've, that forgiveness has been extended by God to me, I realize quickly that God has also called me to extend that type of forgiveness to the world around me. And in this passage of scripture that we're reflecting on this morning, God reconciles us to himself through Jesus, and we therefore become agents of reconciliation in the world around us. Or even more simply, as the Apostle Paul taught in uh, Colossians chapter 3, he says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's the command. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. When you pray, pray, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, or forgive Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So if we truly believe, if we stand together as we did this morning, and say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, 
We therefore, if we truly believe that, we also therefore will be people who forgive. And that's what I want to, I want to figure that out, or at least consider it in a deeper way today. Let's pray. Father God, um, just give us wisdom. We know, we, we approach you this morning, we gather as people with heavy hearts, considering uh, just really terrible things, Lord, in this broken world that we live in. Yet we still, in the midst of it, believe in your goodness. And we do believe that you are present and active, even here in this place. So speak to us this morning, Lord. We humbly ask it, uh, believing that you are a, a good Heavenly Father who loves us. That's why we ask this, Lord. And we do ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If we are going to be people who can truly say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, we need three things that we see in this scripture. The first is that we need a new perspective. Verse 16 again. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. The first thing we need is a change of perspective, and it starts with your perspective on Jesus. You need a new perspective on that, not a worldly perspective. If you, and I, I, I feel like I say this week in and week out, and I will continue to say this, is that we can't view Jesus from a simply worldly point of view. Uh, he was a good teacher who I could follow his teachings. He was a l religious leader. He was a great example of faith and spiritual connection with God. We, that's a very worldly way of seeing Jesus. We must change our perspective to see Jesus as he really was. The God of the universe take on human flesh to come and to save us. That Jesus is not just a teacher or my example. He is my substitute. He is... I. I, because of my brokenness and my separation from God and my evil and my sin and all of that, Jesus had to come and save me. When I have that view of Jesus, it changes my view of other people as well. Because I now see myself on a very level playing field where I was a sinner in need of saving and everyone else in the world is a sinner also in need of saving by Jesus. Therefore, everyone is on a spiritual journey. Not just church people, not just spiritual people. Everyone is on a spiritual journey, either separated from God in sin or being reconciled to God through Jesus. And so that's every individual. But we tend to just lump people into categories. Oh, these are sinful group of people. This is evil group of people. This is judgmental group of people. And we, we categorize people, but we need to change our perspective. And I've been real sensitive to this lately, especially because I feel like I've been categorized. I feel people talk about, well, those Christians, those Bible-believing Christians, this. And, and they're like, oh, no, don't group me. Please don't judge and group me. But then I think, oh, wait a minute. Perhaps I judge and kind of group people. And the more I think about, oh, I certainly do that. I need a change of perspective. And then individually, when in conversations, if when people get talked about when they're not present, about their character, about their, just anything about them. And I just have been so sensitive lately. You know, we can't do this. We can't judge people and just put them in, a, in these boxes. How should we view every person? A changed perspective, if I'm, if I'm not going to look at people in these worldly categories, if I'm going to look with God's eyes, I'm going to see 
Every human being was created in the image of God with the dignity of human life and loved by God and precious to God, created for good things by God. And at the same time, every person broken and corrupted by sin, every single one in need of a Savior, but loved by God that he sent the Savior. Everybody needs Jesus. And as we can then I don't get any kind of sense of superiority or inferiority that we're all standing on the same ground and we need that perspective to change. That's the first thing we need. So if you're going to believe in the forgiveness of sins, you first you have to see it through God's eyes. You needed a Savior. Others need a Savior. But all people are image of God. Precious lives. Second thing. In order to, not only do you need a new perspective, but you need to become a new person. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. You need to be made completely new. Not just your perspective, but your whole heart. Verse 18, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. How? Skip ahead to verse 21. God made him, that's Jesus, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. This is the good news of Jesus. The gospel just, just means good news. The good news of Jesus is that this condition of, of brokenness and separation from God, sin, Jesus comes, he, take, he becomes that sin. He takes it on himself and he gives us his righteousness. He gets our sinful condition, we get his righteous condition. And when we get that new righteous condition, we are being made new. We are a new creation. We are a new person with a new heart. And we have to have it. We have to be made new in this way. Interesting illustration of this. There was a, uh, back in colonial America, there was uh, an Indian chief, and I don't know if I can even pronounce his name. It was Tidiuskung. He was the king of the Delaware Indians. And he was trying to, to negotiate a peace treaty, uh, or some, a treaty with, in the Pennsylvania area. His contention was that some of the pens had driven out Native Americans off their land without any compensation. And they, so they're trying to, he's, he's working with a leader and trying to negotiate this, this treaty. And the two men, the two leaders, ended up in the same house at night and they were sitting by a fire. And they're just, if you've ever been in that kind of a situation where you're sitting with somebody by a fire, you're just kind of watching the flames and you're thinking, but there's no words being exchanged. Just kind of in your own thoughts. And, and the white man spoke first. He said, I want to tell you what I'm thinking about. He said, the, the founder of the Christian religion, he gave a rule. And it's a rule so excellent, we call it the golden rule. And, uh, and the chief said, don't, don't praise it to me. Don't tell me it's so good. Tell me the rule first, and I'll, I'll tell you what I think about this Christian rule. And he said, the rule is this, that you do unto others as you would have them do to you. And the Indian chief thought, and he said, that's impossible. It cannot be done. And he lit his pipe, and he stood up and walked around the room. Fifteen minutes went by, and he spoke again. He said, brother, I've been thoughtful of what you told me. He said, if the great spirit that made man would give him a new heart, he could do as you say, but not else. 
the chief was right. Unless we are given a new heart by God and a new nature, we can't live out this excellent way of life where we could treat other people as we would want to be treated and we can offer forgiveness the same way that we want to receive forgiveness. Or as the, the prophet Ezekiel prophesied by the Holy Spirit that God desires to remove our heart of stone and give us a new heart of flesh. Apart from that, we can't do this. Because forgiveness is not natural. Revenge, yeah, that's immediately, revenge just feels very natural. Ju a deep sense of justice, that's, that's natural. Forgiveness does not seem natural, yet we are commanded, again, Colossians 3.13, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So if we, if we want to say, honestly say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, we need a whole new perspective. We need to become new people with new hearts. And thirdly, lastly, we need a new position. That position is as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. You've been given a new perspective and a new heart, and now you have a new job. You're an ambassador of that same message of reconciliation. A message to the world that we can be reconciled to God and we can be reconciled to one another. To make that message real, to make that message loud to the world around us, we need to forgive. We have to forgive. What should make a Christian stand out is not so much the absence of sin in our lives, but the presence of forgiveness in our lives. Again, forgiveness in response to sin, in response to our own sin, our own seeking forgiveness and repenting of our sin, but also our offering forgiveness in, in response to other people's sin. Again, if the world needs to, if the world needs to see my sinlessness, then the world is going to be waiting a very long time. If the world's going to see Jesus through my sinlessness, they're not going to see Jesus, but the world can see Jesus through my forgiveness, through my repentance, through my extending grace. Again, the, walking the Christian faith, therefore, is not about my perfection. How do I use my perfection? It's how do I deal with my failure? And how do I deal with your failure? And how do you deal with my failure? That's what, that's what following Jesus is going to look like. And as God is, yeah, God is sanctifying us. He's, he's making us new and, and we are fighting against sin. But that, it's the fight that the world sees, not the perfected thing. Or I'll say it this way. If you want to stand out, don't try really hard to be good. If you want to stand out for Jesus, try really hard to forgive. Because that's your new position as an ambassador of Jesus. So now when I say forgiveness, what am I talking about? Again, we, we are agents of God's... So God has reconciled to us by forgiving our sins, and now we are agents of that reconciliation. What is this? What is forgiveness? Well, first of all, forgiveness is not forgetting what happened. We're just ignoring it. Uh, forgiveness is not pretending it doesn't matter. But forgiveness is also not demanding that somebody else change before forgiveness is extended. Forgiveness is not saying, well, time heals all wounds, therefore uh, this will just, you know, over time, 
be gone. That's just not how it works. Forgiveness is facing that wrong that was done. Forgiveness is about recognizing the hurt, recognizing the emotions that have come. But what forgiveness is, it's choosing not to hold it against the other person. Forgiveness is releasing it into God's hands so it's no longer in your hands. It's in the hands of God. Forgiveness is really about dealing with the anger and the resentment piece of it. Even though that piece of the hurt, even though the hurt is still there, certainly the hurt can still be there, but releasing the anger, releasing the resentment, letting it go, the desire to retaliate, you let that go. You give it to God. Even if there's no apology back, letting it go. And therefore, forgiveness can be a process. This is something we need to learn. This is something we need to... Uh, we, you may have to forgive somebody repeatedly, even daily, to extend forgiveness. It's, it can be a process. And you're not going to like this. You're really not going to like this. In order to learn forgiveness, you have to be hurt. In order, to earn, in order to learn God's forgiveness, to experience what God means by forgiveness, you have to be hurt the way that God is hurt by our sin and what forgiveness cost him. So I knew you wouldn't like that. But without being offended, without being hurt, you'll never learn to forgive. But that does... That is freeing in a sense, so we don't have to be surprised or shocked when we meet difficult people who offend you, who hurt you. And as long as you're around people, mostly because they are human, you will likely be hurt. Because if there's anything that humans are good at, it's failing and hurting one another. Messing it up. But in the midst of that, in the midst of that we can be agents of Forgiveness, agents of reconciliation. It's going to take a new perspective. It's going to take you being a whole new person with a new heart. And it's going to take a new position as ambassadors of forgiveness. So here's our gut check this morning. And we all stood and said it together. I heard you people. You said, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. First thing for you. If you are not reconciled to God, when I use that kind of language, if you've never received, you've, you've never experienced God's forgiveness, you've never felt reconciled to God, be reconciled to God. I urge you, be reconciled to God this morning. At the end of our service, people will be standing here. You will walk forward and they can explain it to you. You can pray with them to receive that. Be reconciled to God. But for those of you who have experienced that, you say, yeah, I know, I know what that means. I've, at least in some way, I've, I've experienced this reconciliation. You are now a minister of reconciliation, and you can point other people to Jesus. And you can really stand out in this world. You can really be a light for Jesus by being a person who offers radical forgiveness to others. Amen.